0: Roots Podcast is an interview channel that takes its first series by diving into the personal stories of those in the hospitality industry, whether it be in the restaurant, out in the field, and those in the media as they look back on where it all started for them. It is a retrospective look on the passion, ambition, and drive involved in a competitive industry. Today on Roots Podcast, we have guest Dylan Abdu, who is the co-owner of Newcastle Greens, a farm which started in 2013 by his life partner, L Brown, that grows quality microgreens and heirloom vegetables, having catered to restaurants such as Key and Tetsuya's, and to chefs such as Rob Cochran and Brent Savage. They were also most notably the winners of the Delicious Magazine Produce Awards in 2017. Now, with all that said, let's start simple. Now, I know from a little light reading, you were a chef before you were a farmer. That's great. So, I'll start by asking... Growing up, have you always wanted to be a chef?
1: How it all started with me in the kitchen was, uh, was like everyone, I suppose, Uh, washing dishes uh, at the age of 14. (laughs) Um, Back at Wingham, I'm from Wingham originally. I remember it was about Two or three weeks into year 11 and I was, you know, 16 years old and I was like, you know, I just wasn't digging school. And um, my mum my said, oh, look, if you want to, you know, if you, if you want to leave school, you've got to have a job. And uh, so I found myself an apprenticeship at uh, Port Stephens. So that would mean I'd have to move and all that jazz. So at 16 and a half years of age, I moved to Port Stephens. I started an apprenticeship at Pepper's Anchorage, which was at that stage probably one of the best places to work down there. I worked with chefs like Corey Campbell and Stuart Strutshot and all these guys have gone along to win big accolades in, in the industry, you know. So I worked under Jean-Marc Pellet, he's a French chef. Uh, he originally trained at Cables under Serge Densray. Um, so he was one of sort of the, the first big chefs um, in this area. I did my apprenticeship there. I moved around. I got right into cooking, so, like, I, I found my passion in it. I was right about the food. I, you know, I learnt from every section from the ground up. You know, we we started with a breakfast buffet in the morning, and then went all the way through lunches, dinners, you know, and, and all the sections um, through to pastry. And then, you know, I just wanted to get out there and um, learn as much as I could, and I was pretty hungry for it. So I think at the age of say twenty, twenty one, I'd qualified and decided to go to Sydney, um, where I worked in quite a few venues. I worked for Solitel, I worked at Opera Bar. Worked there for about. Twelve months. I ended up being junior sous chef for most of that time that I was there, and then I went to work for chefs like uh, Stephen Hodges at Fish Face, Massimo Mele. I worked at Belmondo Mondo uh, for a while, which was great. And I sort of just got around and, and learned as much as I could. And you know, I always had a had a pretty good ground, grounding, you know, from from my original training. So I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a chef. Um, I was passionate about it. I just got to a stage where. You know, I wanted to be a head chef, and that's when uh, me and Elle had sort of decided we were going to move from Sydney just because of the expenses and whatnot. At this stage, you know, growing for us was literally in our backyard, in pots and things like that. Um, you know, we were getting around, picking things in the wild. Um, you know, there was a, there's a lot of things that grow in the city. You yeah. know, it yourself, yeah, um, that you see and and you can eat. So you know, it was right into all that. Um, and originally, from being from the country, that was sort of just you know. It was just ingrained in me. Mm. Um, You know, we always had a vegetable garden and my family are dairy farmers by generation. I think three generations worth, they've still got the farm up there. But moving to Newcastle was a whole new thing, you know. Um, I was a bit more serious. We'd had our son Leroy... And, you know, it was more... Not so much about the money at that time. I knew that I needed to make money, but it was more so about, you know, sort of setting myself up and a bit of longevity, you know, Mm. something that was going to be giving for a while. Yeah, sure. So, um, in fact, the venue that we're in today, you know, doing this podcast is uh, the the venue that I uh, took on when I came here in the old Masonic Hall in Beaumont Street. It was called The Depot. I worked for a couple of guys that had owned the venue for 12 months. And, yeah, look, we just started to build a team. Literally, uh, the day that I got here, pretty much everyone was sort of on the way out. Yeah, sure. And so we sort of cleaned house and, and built, built a team from the ground up. Like, I remember the guy that came the first day that I was here, he was my first apprentice. <laughs> you know, like, he, he now runs one of the restaurants in, in um, the Crown Plaza in Hunter Valley. Wow. Um, and he's, he's super young. He's I think he's about 23, 24 now. Uh, so, yeah, so, like, you know, cooking's always been something that I'm super passionate about. I did identify, I think, you know, when I became a head chef that it was super hard to get quality produce without, you know, having to go that extra mile Mm. of going and talking to someone that's growing it. You know, I quickly realised that if we could start to grow some stuff ourselves and, you know, even if it was just flowers and things like that, um, that could really changed the way we were cooking and how our food appeared so that's sort of how things started I suppose we were growing a little bit of stuff for our plates we were picking a little bit of wild garlic and you know like I said before I was good friends with Corey Campbell who you know ex-Noma so he's a big inspiration in my time and my career and when he came back we, we hung out for a couple of weeks and I learned a lot just cruising around with him in Melbourne mm. before he worked at Voodamon and I just think that you know at that stage I was ready to you know to do something different
0: what was the 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 food like here and when you jumped on was there a certain angle that you wanted to take the food in and what direction
1: yeah so um well when I came here it was more banquet style sure so a lot of shared plates um you know like tomahawk steaks cut and served which I was all into all that like I, I loved it um uh, but I suppose me coming from more of a finer dining background, you know, where you would have, you know, some starters, you know, and then some mains and some desserts. I sort of tried to um, slowly change it. I didn't come in here telling people what to do. I did what they wanted me to do to start. Um, And, you know, they had a formula that, you know, at that stage was working. Um, But I just felt that, you know, that we were going to change. We were going to evolve. Like, and I do believe that, you know, every restaurant, should evolve Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of the life of a restaurant (laughs) I think some places you know very few become an institute Mm. Um, but definitely um, a restaurant has a time where it peaks and you know if you're smart you can you know change it up and you know keep things moving but I do believe that you know it's like there's a life Um, you know it's a big venue this place this is three stories it's the old Masonic Hall Um, I think that that stage they put about 1.2 million into the fit out uh, at, at any one stage you can sit 240 covers That's okay. um, we were doing 240 covers <laughs> just from the um, one kitchen yeah, yeah just from the one yeah, kitchen yeah. Um, originally with uh, four staff and a kitchen hand um, and we built our team up yeah. and um, you know we got to the stage where you know we were dabbling in a bit of molecular astronomy at that stage I was right into that sort of stuff I suppose going
0: full grand hatchets there eh? yeah <laughs> well, we were having a bit of a go and we had our, <sighs>
1: we had our dishes and things but um, look I suppose the food was modern Australian but I do believe like you know, this is, this is going back 20, 2012 2013. right okay people weren't embracing produce as much as they are like then as much as they are now Look there was people mm. doing it but now I, I find it all the time people are opening a restaurant so they're the first thing they're doing you know is they're ringing producers. You know, this is great because before they would have just come from somewhere else and they just use the suppliers, you know, the wholesalers. Now it's a bit more like, you know, they want to get at one. They know they want to they want a point a difference. They've got to contact someone that's growing. And mm. we do a lot of farm tours. I think you guys have been out, you know, we've had the key crew up. We've had a lot of the local restaurants come out. Yeah. Uh, we welcome that.
0: You're managing two restaurants. Uh, with I assume this is between 2012, 2014, 15.
1: Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 2011 we got here. Yeah, sure. And I think I finished up here about, it was, it was five and a half years, so. Yeah. So, but I was, I was also working with L at Newcastle Greens. I right. actually dropped back to three days and went more into um, sort of an executive role, but I took a big pay cut from here. Yeah. Because I filled both venues with good teams. Yeah, sure. Um, young team, you know, young people, which I found, you know, they just, you, there was no untraining to be done. You could just train them from the ground up. And, right they could just do the job, you know, and I'd just come in and work generally, I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturdays yeah. hard, so I was able because of my relationship with the owners here, to scale back a bit, as long as nothing fell short here, Of course, and, of course. and invest more time into the green, so then that's when we were able to sort of start delivering to the valley, you know, and start delivering out to Port Stephens, and mm. really sort of spread our wings a little um, at this stage we weren't supplying anyone on the central coast or in Sydney, mm. so it was really just Newcastle, Hunter and and um, Port Stevens. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and what was the main reason you've decided to finally move on from being a chef? Because that can be a bit of a gripping move. It was. When, I, when it's such a big
1: deal. Yeah, it was. I remember um, being quite stressed.
0: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: Um, we, wouldn't, we hadn't really got to a stage where we were making the same amount of income as we would if I was chefing and I was running Newcastle Greens, but we just made the break. I suppose I've seen a bit more lifestyle. In this, and Elle always wanted me to, you know, be at home more because you know being a chef's quite challenging. Mm. You know, you'd start at eight in the morning, most mornings, mm. and you know you're out of there at midnight. Like I said, I don't do anything by half, so I, when I was working, I was working. You know, I think even on those three days, I'd still manage to do you know forty hours mm. um, without fail. So I, I, um, I think it was just the fact that we we could see something in it. I really do believe that we. We, we knew we could do something with Newcastle Greens. Yeah, and and sure. it was starting to become something. Like We were getting phone calls. It was getting busy. Right. And yeah, it was it was fun. Like, it was exciting. It was, you know, we knew that if I left, you know, being having to worry about this, all that time would get invested into this. In, in fact, I, I just say, I remember stressing about the income and I started going to Sydney markets. I'd take down a $1,000 with me and I'd buy white shiitake or um, I'd talk to some of the restaurants about, just a handful of them too. It was only like four or five restaurants. I remember going to the market and saying like, "I can get this, I can get this, this, and this." And I'd just go down and try and find the things that were a bit different, and then I I'd, I'd, that'd pop our sales a bit, you know, just to get us over the line. Yeah, sure. Um, so we would do. I did. We'd do anything. We yeah. were going to do anything to make this work, right? And, and you know, when we got to a stage where we could employ people, you know, I was cautious because I didn't want to. You know, if one week was fell a bit short, you would stress. You know, it was. It was literally we'll make money week to week but we got that we had the following so when it got to a stage where we got we i stopped going to the city markets because we were simply just too busy
0: yeah
1: and i'd actually you know by this stage we were growing some some lamborns and we had a little farm so we were starting to learn a little bit about you know proper growing in the ground as opposed to just getting everything in and popping in pots and Mm. and selling it um we, I started dealing with this guy. I went to buy a heap of lucen, which I found on Cumtree again. Lucen? Lucen mulch. So, oh, so it's right. like a horse feed. But sure, yeah, sure. this guy had a heap of bales there out at Morpeth. You know, when I went past to buy this lucen, I think I got 30 or 40 bales off him. And uh, he said, I said, what do you do here? And he said, oh, we grow vegetables and we grow lucen. And, and I said, oh, really? You know, you know, what sort of veggies? And he said, oh, a bit of cauliflower and a bit of broccoli and some potatoes. And I said, oh, I'll buy some of that stuff off you. And he, he said, yeah, okay. And... Um, at that stage Matt had 25 acres of potatoes in wow. if I was to put that into perspective he's probably getting 120 ton of potatoes wow so it's a lot of potatoes uh, at that stage they were they were sending him to the markets in ton bags so right. one 1.2 ton bags um, just down to Murphy's in the market. and so he was growing for the market and I said how much are you getting a, a, you know how much are you getting he said oh we're getting about uh, $500 bag I said for a 1.2 ton and I said well what would be a fair price that you would want from me you know and, and at that stage I think he said a dollar a dollar a kilo and I went okay I can work off that You're laughing yeah so well yeah so it started like I was laughing because I was literally stopping and he was sewing up 20 kilo bags for me and I was stopping and picking up fresh potatoes um, I was laughing more then than I am now because, <laughs> because we go out there now and we actually, we actually harvest them and there's a lot of work in it. So Matt's got a, a monster harvester that you can just work up on the back and everything just comes up on yeah, conveyor sure, belts and, sure. and you grate them and whatnot and pick up all the, the chunks of dirt and everything that comes away from it. But there's also this other little thing that we call it. Like it's a little skiff and it basically just it goes behind the tractor and just basically throws the potatoes up onto the ground. Yeah, right. So if we've only got a couple of hundred kilo to harvest, we'll hand harvest them. Um, now a lot of chefs over the time have asked me to grade them and I'm like you just don't understand It's we're not big enough to justify grading yeah. I mean I remember Alex Pritchard asking me for you know the, the, the ones the size of marbles and I was like <laughs> I started going through and picking them out but you know for half an hour's work two, two takeaway containers yeah. so I'm like you know that's just not viable
0: it's different different ballpark
1: that's right so you know I, I, I was sort of starting to appre- learn a bit of appreciation but with Matt it was literally it started with broccoli cauliflower and potatoes um I made some suggestions to him that maybe we have a crack at growing some different things you know Mm. because right then and there I was like oh this is this is good he's got some good ground out here um he's obviously got scale like he's growing scale all for the market and at that stage he was quite disappointed on the um the price he was getting Mm. so he he started to sort of take take in what I was saying when I was like, well, I'll bring some seedlings out and we'll try. So I just started buying Romanesco seed and things like that and getting them up and struggling, crappily, you know, growing the worst seedlings you've seen in the world. But we got things out there and we got things growing and, um, you know, we started to sort of learn, you know. And then, you know, we started working with some of the larger propagators on different varieties like, you know, your your coloured cauliflowers. I started getting Spigarello growing and things like that. Mm. Things that I knew could give us a foothold. You know, with some of these restaurants that were a bit you know, higher up. Mm. Um, so it just took fire. It, you know, it wasn't something that we did on scale to start with, but then he started slowly pulling back on some of those larger lines because he wasn't getting the money in the market. I think right now he doesn't even deal with a wholesale market, he deals purely with us. Mm. Uh, he does his own fruit and veg box. Uh, he sells some stuff into some of the local guys that sell at the local farmers markets, yeah, sure. uh, and he has a couple of his own restaurants. Um, Or cafes out at Maitland, out that way. So, look, you know, it's taken a long time. I think now he, you know, he he was never doing carrots and things like that. Now he's direct sowing carrots. Mm. He's direct sowing all these rare radishes, things like purple daikon and stuff that, you know, you guys have all used. Um, So, it was like we worked together. Um, El would generally, me and El would just generally get together and start working out, you know, new things that we could buy seed-wise. You know, and we we saw seed all over the world. And then we would basically get the seed in, start it, and if if it was something that we couldn't grow on the scale that we knew people would want, Mm. um, we'd send it out to Matt's farm and uh, and get it going. So I think we're about four years now into a relationship with him. Mm. Um, And, you know, like I said, we've got staff out there two days a week, our staff, which we pay, um, and we still have a system where we buy and sell off Matt. Um, and the margins are there, you know, enough for our business to scale up and be what it is today. There was a lot of places that you know wouldn't come probably our way if we didn't have sort of that vegetable, um, that hard veg sort of offering. But then vice versa, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that were just buying the leaf lines and you know the nasturtiums and things like that and the flowers, and then they go, oh look, I'll, I'll tag a couple of cabbages in as well. And so it's sort of just that that perfect marriage at mm. this stage. Um, yeah.
0: Going from growing wheatgrass to hitting the market with lamborns, were there other stages in, in Newcastle Greens growing where you stopped and, and both thought, shit, like this is, this is legit working? Like this is happening? Like, it was, yeah. I'm just curious, whether there are other moments like that where you just oh. became dumbfounded and thought, fuck. Look,
1: like, we, we, we were. Um, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, we uh, You know, I, I quickly realized that because I was used to having a team in the kitchen, you know, and that everyone had a section. And if you spread the workload, you can achieve greatness. You know, you can get things done and, and on, a, on, a, you know, on, a, on a higher level. Um, and we, it was just me and Elle, we had realised that we'd bitten off more than we could chew when it came to, you know, and this is even prior to Matt. When we were trying to do flowers, we are doing microgreens, we are doing baby leaf, you know. I, I remember I took the tiller over my front lawn and just <laughs> ripped up the lawn and started growing in the front lawn. We had a big trellis along the whole front of our house, and it had all Mexican sour cucumbers on it. I remember the landlord came around one day, and his face, hey, was just like, he went white, and and I was like, oh, it's all good, we'll, we'll fix it all up before we go. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> you know, we've been sure there. Right, we've yeah. been there nine years now, and he, you know, he said it's fine. and Everything on the driveway. I just not sure about you know taking the lawn, taking to the front lawn and stuff. And I'm like, all right, okay, I'll pull back a bit there. Um, but you know, he helped us build some of the garden beds in in the yards and that, um, which we, we, you know, I'm. I'll, I'm so surprised at some of the numbers we used to do out of, you know, a couple of borage plants on the front lawn. You know, yeah, right. Like I'm telling you, like you'd be picking them every day because you'd stay on top of them. Right. So um, it's one of those things you could just graze on them every day. And mm. we'll probably be picking like four or five punnets in the morning and two or three in the afternoon every day. Yeah, right. You know, and I think at that stage we're charging, you know, ten dollars or eight dollars a punnet for borage flowers. Yeah, right. But like that was a steady income for us. So it was just like small spaces really, and that was our sort of our push at that stage because mm. we didn't have more space yeah sure. but we were like small spaces you can really generate some 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 you know some turnover out of um so you know we grow we were growing at that stage just in, in the space that two cars can fit on the driveway integrated two tunnels that i'd built um and you know we could be selling between 12 and 1600 micro herbs a, a week mm. you know and still keeping that flow on um so you know, I think at that stage we were probably selling well over two thousand punnets a week. Yeah, and was there a um, point
0: in that uh, that early stage where you did have a lot more people that wanted to have kind of a uh, relationship with you guys, but you just didn't have the space or the 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 people that can help you push that? Hundred percent. So yeah, sure. We,
1: we were we were um, you know, like we were predominantly microgreens and edible flowers. Um, at that stage, we couldn't even grow enough edible flowers. Everyone wanted flowers; it was like the thing to do. You know, so we were making great great numbers there. I think. If, you know, we might have been doing 70 punnets a week of flowers, you know. Um, and like I said, at that stage, probably, you know, six, 700 micro a week uh, sold. Things were good, man. Like, mm. you know, we'd worked out where all the garlic, wild garlic was growing. We worked out what time of the year, which is right now, you can, you know, bunch wild garlic greens. Mm. So, you know, wood sorrel, yellow wood sorrel. You can go and pick 40 or 50 punnets of that stuff. You know, mm. it was a big job, mm. but we go back. We'd, we'd basically just harvest a little space you know, we'd go back and then we'd sort them all out so they're all perfect leaves. We just we were we were honestly acting like so that when the chef gets it, the job's done. We're mm. part of the process, you know. So they get it, they know they've got 120 perfect little wood sorrel, you know, leaves in there, and I know they're spot on. And so the product sells itself when it's that good, mm. you know. You don't have to do much more apart from you know keep up with it. Yeah, we were getting we were getting a lot of phone calls. Um, and it was busy. It was stressful. Um, you know, I know how chefs operate. I know they like to call at, or message or whatever at 10 o'clock at night when they're finished service. And, you know, I remember Elle wasn't all for it. Sometimes she like, it's out of business house. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like but, you know, this is it. You, you sort of, sometimes you got to go that extra mile and, yeah. you know, you answer that call or you, you know, whatever you got to do to pick up that, that order. Um, and, and we were doing it, man. Like, we, we worked, you know, we worked so hard. Like, I remember. We have putting our life on the sideline for it. Um, I think anything, you know, that you want to make a go at, you've got to give it 120%. Um, We spoke of, you know, these times where we'd be able to go on a holiday. We didn't go on a holiday for like four years, Mm. you know, like I'm talking even a weekend away. Yeah, right. So it's like it was full on and we were living it and it was, you know, it was intense. But we got to a stage in the last four years where we could go away, yeah. you know, and we have several holidays now, you know, and I think that was when we started really, you know, we've started to be, you know, enjoy ourselves. You know, three years in a row, gold medalists for Delicious. You, like I said, mate, anyone could do this. It's just about whether you've got it in you, you've got the hard work, you know, that, that work ethic and, and, uh, that, and be prepared to make heaps of mistakes and take mm. those hits. Because that's the biggest thing Like I'm a massive fan Of making mistakes I've done everything wrong like, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee it I remember I think I was about Three days into my apprenticeship At Peppers Anchorage And I remember spilling A whole 20 litre bucket Of berry, berry combo That had just been made And I remember I opened the Like there's a big Cool room right And I've opened the Cool room door And it's just come out Like this big wave Of just berry combo and everyone was going off at me. And I was like, yep, well, that's the fucking worst thing I could have done. <laughs> that's the worst thing I could have done. Like, you know, and, that, and, 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 you know, like, that's, they're the sorts of things. We've all that, done it, haven't yeah, we? they're the sorts of things that shape you, man. Oh, like that's you, it. You know, you're very careful around 20 litre buckets after you do shit like <laughs>
0: that, you know? like, So after kind of getting Newcastle Greens on, on the map, as a chef, were there restaurants that you had your eye on that you thought, man, that'd be awesome to start connecting with and supplying?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, locally we already had mo- most of them in the bag i remember um trying okay i didn't have to try with too many of them but i remember really trying to get troy Rhodes brown on board and uh at this stage you know we knew of each other as chefs um we're probably around the same time as uh, apprenticeships you know and um you know apprenticeships same, same sort of time frame so probably you know same sort of age and whatnot and i remember organizing I think once again it was either through text message or through Instagram. Um, you know, can I come up and can I come up and show you some stuff that, you know, that we've got? And I knew we had some stuff that yeah. he, he that he would like. You know, yeah. but he's a he's a pretty avid grower himself. Um, he's a, he's a smart guy, um, very humble. I'm a massive fan of him. You know, um, and so yeah, I sort of I remember I organised this meeting. And I don't know if you've ever been to Muse, but it's it's fucking the, the restaurant is stunning. Mm um up there at hungerford hill and yeah so we went into the private dining room and i pulled out these containers and you know he didn't even really from what i remember he didn't really he, he loved everything but he was asking how you been man and like how's things going and you know it was just more of like a just a bro down sort of yeah, thing. It was, sure. there was no sort of you know evident stress but until i like i got there i was stressed a little like you know i really want to pitch this you know <laughs> it's the only one i really wanted to you know and um but yeah, yeah like look, it took a little while i think he came around he bought a little bit of stuff he was interested in some nasturtium shoots and things and then the orders weren't big they were just enough and then you know Muse is probably muse music is probably one of our biggest guys in the valley along with uh exp and and uh Four foods um frank who's one of um troy's well, i suppose one of the chefs that come in under him mm. and now he's going to open his own venues up there look um Troy's been there. He's the one that uh, initially started using the Lambourne Snap Greens. He, um, I suppose, nominated us originally for the Delicious Produce Awards. Yeah, right. So he's the original guy that sort of got behind it. He had some artwork commissioned, which is actually on his menu, of one of the Snap Greens, the wow. Calvin Lambourne Snap Greens. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, look, his support's been massive. And so you're talking a guy that's my age, you know, 34 and and is on, in my opinion, you know, he's on the world stage of how he has, I suppose, sold regional cuisine, you know, Mm. like, and and, and he's really all about it. Like, you know, some of the stuff that he does is, his food's amazing. Like, you know, a lot of support from him. Yeah, there's been restaurants that we've, I've tried to, you know, really get him with. Not always does it work. When you go to places and you're trying to get them on board, you almost... I'll use the analogy, drop your pants, because you want You'll do anything to get them. And there was a little bit of that at the start with the microgreens and things like, you know, people trying to negotiate price and all that. But we came to a stage where we were just still on, look, this is what it costs to produce it. This is what it costs. If you want to get, you know, I'm not going to say an inferior, but I will, product out of the market, then, mm. you know, that's you're going to pay 80 cents less. But, yeah. you know, it's cheese and chalk. So when, when Sydney sort of started really going for us was when the first Delicious Produce Awards went down and, you know, like, we had uh, Peter Gilmore ring up. Like, we've just spoke. I've been a chef all my life. Peter Gilmore, for me, is, like, you know one of the guys you know mm. that i've always looked up to you one of the boys yeah. one of the guys yeah you got you've got, <laughs> you've got all his books you know you've, you've, you've got you see all, his face all the time yeah, yeah and you know his food's always been super intricate yeah. you know full of color full of life you know and and it's just been one of those things you know that you've you've always sort of looked at and looked up to um to have him call us and you know start discussing wanting to discuss you know maybe getting some stuff from us that was just you know probably the one of the happiest days of our lives, you know, and, you know, little did we know how stressful it would be, but, you know, <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, that, that was probably after the first delicious produce was, you know, things kicked off and, um, we were able to find ourselves in quite a few restaurants. At that stage, we already had Tetsui's. Alex Pritchard's been a big follower for mm. a long time. Yeah. Look, Sydney as for chasing restaurants you know we might get back to it at some stage but at this stage we're just happy with who we've got yeah. we have good relationships with them the chefs within the kitchens as well we've gone on to be friends you know um, so it's not it's not all business mm. you know there's definitely some, uh, some partying and some friendships that, that have evolved from these relationships and that's what I love about it man like it's it's almost like we're still in the kitchen you know yeah, like yeah. we're still part of what you're doing I see so much stuff on Instagram and and I just go, like, that's awesome. Like, mm. that, you know, couldn't have done that better. Like, those cabbages, you guys were using at YOLO last year. Um, you know, Chris, he's a great chef, I reckon. And, um, and he was doing those sugar loaf cabbages, and they just... We, we got the opportunity to come there and eat, and it was just unbelievable. Like, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I still love to get out there and um, and, and, and tr- try everything and stuff. It's pretty hard because, obviously, we are in Newcastle and we are busy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, Sydney... Support huge, yeah, huge. Yeah, without yeah. Sydney, our business wouldn't be where it is. Yeah, like, right. It's just the sales there. You guys are so busy down there, uh, and everything just seems to be so mm. like the numbers are, are fierce. You know, as opposed to a couple of punnets up here. You know, we're talking twenty punnets down there. You know, mm. and I think it's it's sort of come back. It comes back to you because when you know you guys put something on or key, put something on their Instagram with our stuff on it, you know, the phone rings. So like, <laughs> and you, you've got to say like, oh, look, you know, we're actually out of that or that's exclusively for him or whatever yeah, it sure. might be, but at least you might be able to tie off something with them, you know. So, yeah. But we we've, we've, were at a stage where we would just um, keep saying yes. And like I was saying right. this morning, I'm, I'm at a stage now where me and I have discussed, we don't want to be doing that anymore. We mm-hmm. want to just not so much pick and choose, but just work with who pays who's, um, you know, good and fun to work with Mm. um, and who we know really appreciates that you know sometimes things aren't ready Mm. you know or we might fall short on the numbers you know but and not you know it doesn't it's not going to be a drama you know it's like okay well that's that's why you work with small growers you know Mm. if you want quality and you've got to understand sometimes it's not just like a a phone call off the market floor yep we'll get those numbers for you Mm. you know
0: when it comes to the ideas running behind Newcastle Greens, I just am curious about the approach because one being a chef and one being a really avid microgreens grower, it seems that's played really well in terms of how you've collaborated and pushed Newcastle Greens. Yep
1: yeah, 100%. Like uh, uh, the thing that Ellie, you know, that I admire Ellie for is she's a very hard worker she doesn't put a clock on the day either, you know, which I think, you know, we all admire in a person, uh, being from where we've, you know, the industries that we've come from. I'm a little bit more about the numbers and making sure that we're making bank, Mm. but she's massive on the quality, you know. I mean, not that I'm not, but she has a very good fine eye for detail. Sometimes, you know, I I watch the timeframes, you know, you can make anything look beautiful, but (laughs) if it's taken forever, you know, and then it renders itself, you know, Un- unprofitable, world, You know, yeah, sure. We have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, El, you know, loves to get around and, and make sure everything's perfect. So I know that if, um, you know, she's doing something, it's going to be spot on and we're going to definitely get results. And, and then that's her, um, you know, that's her thing. I, I, um, we try and train our t- crew to make sure that, you know, that everything that we're doing is 100% because you know you're as good as your last meal you're as good as your last leaf picked mm. or whatever it might be it's um you know it's what we pride ourselves in so maybe last year you know when we were so busy that it was getting to a stage that i don't think the the quality wasn't there but we were just doing so much that it was sort of like you know you, you could miss things okay and we've always been small enough to keep our eye on things mm. and so i think um both being from the hospitality industry knowing hard work and having our our individual qualities, um, like Elle's the one that's got all the, the all the website together. You know, she takes amazing photos. Mm. you know. She's she's the platform for our social in a big way because you know she's got she's got the following, and I believe it's because she's got amazing photos and she takes that extra time. You know, mm. and, and I applaud that as well. Um, she's got all the branding done. You know, she's the one that does all the box work. You know, all the art, art um, artwork on the boxes and mm. like seed buying. Um, talking with breeders you know now we work with kale breeders and mm. colangela breeders and small seed growers in the states and um new zealand and you know some in australia now which is great to see because that wasn't really happening at the start we have having to chase seed from everywhere else um and then just you know the groundwork involved in that's huge you know and sometimes i'm, I'm the guy that'll go you know, we've got a nice broad bean crop in, and it's all gone through to seed. Mm. And I'll go, let's get the fucking broad bean crop out and get this get this crown worked up and start thinking about the next crop. And and Elle's the one that'll go along, and she'll go, well, we're going to save all the seed, and so now we're saving all this. So you know, we're we're going through and collecting all these broad beans for seed. And, mm. and at the time, I'm like, no, it's, it's not going to be worth it. We're better just buying the seed. But then at the end of it, there's like five kilos of broad bean seed. Mm. We don't have to buy the seed for next year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. She she just does those things that I'm going, oh, it's not valid, but. You know, totally is. Yeah. And that's what gives us that um, that sort of that cutting edge, that different approach. So, yeah, look, we're different and it works. It works, it works. <laughs> works. Yeah, it just, it
0: does work, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I want to take this back to seven or eight months because I feel like it's been such a bullshit year for the farmers like yourself. It's been since November being the bushfires, oh. you've got the droughts, there's floods and then recently coronavirus. Um, I suppose at the start of the beginning, how are you able to deal with all this because... Handling one of them sure is courageous and and great by itself, but all of those is a bit of a shitstorm. What was that like? Kind of getting your footing again and thinking, well, how can we get through this and think of new strategies and new all approach?
1: Well, all right, well, let's go back. Okay, so um, last year was our, you know, where we were just nailing it. So we'll go we'll go back to say so September last year. You know, we were, we were on the back of our wild garlic season. Society was starting. Society garlic was starting, and you know, this is the Third year, we've had the crop, which we bought from Tim and Liz Johnston and from their kitchen gardens when they stopped farming. And, um, you know, I was like, this is going to be a year, you know. Like, we're on. Uh, and it was just getting drier mm. and drier. And, like, fucking the dam was getting really low. Mm. You know, and there was no rainfall. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, look, we'll get a top up here and there. So, we stopped outside watering. So, we just watered in our tunnels. We've got... Um, got three tunnels down there you know 30 meter tunnels and Mm. uh so we just started just doing honest it was even hand watering things you know um we had a heap of peppers in outside we were hand watering with watering cans just to make sure we weren't wasting water wow um it got to a stage where you know we were out of water so we had to start buying water in and it was costing us for um 14,000 litres it was costing... Uh, so we've got five drops of 14,000 litres. It was costing us $650. Um, lucky that the the pickup point was just for the water cartage truck was just like a kilometre away from our farm. So he'd just go and do five drops and then we'd pretty much use that water within a week yeah, and then wow. he'd come back next week. Wow. So we're talking about, um, you know, a full-time wage, if you like, you know, or $650 out of our account each week just on water, just on water, mm. so... Um, and that was just to keep the lines in the tunnels going. So it was pretty stressful. Look, um, the fires got quite close to our farm. Um, I think it was just the general morale. Like, we were in drought. You know, you turn anything on, whether it be your phone, the TV, and there's fucking fires everywhere mm. and people are just, you know, it's Breaking it was out, catastrophic, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. We were all stressed and everyone was trying to help each other. And, you know, that was a big hit to Australia. Um, and then I just remember, you know, we got rain and... And it sort of, we got back to a stage, you know, where we were maybe having enough water. Um, we were still buying water, I do remember, but even after the rains. But it's just sort of continually rain. So we got on. And funnily enough, all the crops that we had in through summer came good once that rain hit. So they were looking like spindly and just not looking like they were going to do their thing. I'm talking peppers and... Mm even uh, crops of amaranth and basil and things like that that were just sort of sitting in the ground, not doing much. Once that rain hit, man, everything boomed. Mm. So, you know, um, I was really happy that plants are very resilient, you know, like they'll wait as well. And uh, and then everything boomed and we, we started to generate some, um, you know, some income back off, off the outdoor stuff. The, the biggest thing that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about, I suppose, you know, um, and the most serious things, this, this coronavirus that's come through and absolutely decimated our industry mm-hmm. overnight. Um, you know, we were just coming into our brassica season when this all hit. Uh, we were just starting on things. We had plans in pr- program like uh, f- for big numbers r- with restaurants like yourself and uh, and Key and and Penalong um, and and things in the ground. You know, ready to be sold. Mm. Um, and it just, mate, I remember. There'd been talk about it, and then all of a sudden it was like everyone just cancelled their orders. At that stage, we had 86 restaurants we were supplying. Uh, We were a team of seven, uh, you know, four full-time, all on salaries. Um, And within two weeks, we went down to just me and Elle. Um, We had to stand our staff down because the income just stopped. It was... You've got to understand, you know, everything's there growing for that amount of restaurants, and all of a sudden it's like it's there but it's not getting sold Mm. and you've got six sessions all the way through so um me and matt met um l you know was involved and we just said well what are we going to do we're going to have to start doing vegetable boxes at that stage we didn't really have enough um, variety to put into a box Mm. we're still waiting on the um, cauliflowers to head the broccolis only just started uh, potatoes weren't ready. There was just all these things. So we only had what we had. So I think um, Jenny from Scotty's and Joel Humphreys down at Scotty's, they're both great people. Joel's a great chef, big supporter. Um, they organised this market, you know. So this was the first thing. We've never done a market. You know, yeah In nine years, we've never done a market. So <laughs> been growing for that long, never done a market. <laughs> so that was. Different, um, so we just banged it up on social media and just said, Look, we're going to be there, we're going to have some produce, uh, we're going to have some produce boxes which we're going to make up on the day. Um, you know, and then we decided because of COVID that we probably have to pre sell them all, and so there's no money, you know, transferred through hands and whatnot. Right. So I put them up to sell them, and I think we sold all of them. So then we had people coming to the market, and I didn't have much surplus because at that stage I just carried what I harvested yeah, yeah, right. you know, so they'd all sold so that wow. that sort of took fire really quickly and everyone was talking and it, it was a different vibe man like you're going from dealing with chefs that you've dealt with all the time which is still great and stuff but it gets to a stage where it is still just an ordering system and you know there's a couple of you know kisses and cuddles sent through the phone and you're, you're happy to get what you got and yeah, that's, sure. you know it's all like that um, and uh, now I've got you know customers local from the, who were so stoked to even be there to eat our, you know, to have our yeah. produce to go home with, you know. So um, that sort of took off. And then we quickly hit the ground running me and Ellen just said, look, let's just do a veg box mm. uh, for home delivery. So uh, I'd go out and harvest. We'd go to the farm and cut all, all our microgreens become salad bags. Yeah, right. So we basically just cut all our microgreens. Yeah, stop sure. Stopped growing them in pots straight away and started growing them in trays, in slab trays. Yeah, right. So we can just cut everything. Sure. So we didn't stop sowing or growing. We just turned everything into a bag of salad or um, radicchio's, you know, cleaned right. up and just yeah. a band around them. Um, radishes pulled and bunched, same sort of system, mm. you know, and we just take them all back to our cool room and then we'd make all our boxes from there and, um, you know, take payment um, by direct deposit and deliver it to home. And mm. so that started... I think the first day we had something like fifty people to deliver to. It took me nine and a half hours because they were everywhere, and I didn't put a cap on where. So, <laughs> yeah. man, I'm I'm like driving all day. I got home at the end of the day, and I'm just like, I was rooted. I was I was stuffed, and I was like, that was the hardest money I've ever earned. Oh, the more mistakes you learn. And, huh? and this, is it. so <laughs> we got to a stage where we picked off. You look from here to here, we're gonna do, and anyone out of that area has to come to our house and pick up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the response was awesome. Um, we weren't doing any restaurants. Mm. So That's uh, it was such a difference. So I'm talking out at Matt's. We had um, planned on uh, thousand cabbages a fortnight, just sugar loaves. We had Savoy and Red and um, Drumheads as well, but, you know, uh, 2,000 broccoli a fortnight, so a thousand a week to be sold. Mm. Uh, you know, Collie's the same, Romanesco's the same. And, and this was all coming on. And the first probably four weeks, we were just chopping them in. Mm. So taking the tractor over the top of them and chopping them into the ground as green manure. Wow. You're talking, you're talking, um, you know, yeah, the most painful thing of Mm. all for any farmer to do it was going to cost them more the market floor at that stage wasn't worth selling into because logistically it was a nightmare to try and get things to Sydney Mm. Uh, everyone had diversified and gone into boxes I know that SDFP started doing um, Harris Farm boxes to try and hold on to some of their staff it it was the most stressed you know and we're talking um, you know we were at a stage where this should have been our year to get not in front but just back to you know, we've put ourselves in a massive amount of debt to try and keep these farms in operation and mm. have the right staff and, and the infrastructure and all that that we've put into our farms. You know, we, This was our year to sort of just get back to ground level and, and literally uh, and, and, and be in a, in a situation where we mm. weren't running at a loss. Yeah. And, yeah, this has hurt us. And I've even said it, I've been saying it openly, if we don't get back to some form of structure and numbers... Uh, by September, if they do stop this job keeper, we won't be around. There was a couple of small farms that used to grow for Daniel Alvarez. Um, they stopped. Um, there's been some small growers that have stopped. You know, and I don't know if you saw that um, that post that Dan Barber put up, but basically stating that you know the the um, hospitality industry, restaurants in particular, uh, rely on you know at least 50% of the the Better venues rely mm. on small producers, and when they don't operate, the small producer loses out. And mm. you know, this small farming is what's pushing things forward in the world because the big conglomerate farmers, you know, they don't they don't source the stuff that we source. You know, mm. there is a whole um, sort of society behind this. You know, you've got places like Wild Garden Seeds that produce amazing seeds. You know, that's where we get all our auric seed from. There's just all these small growers. There's breeders behind it. There's the Lamborn family, you know. I, I don't know if it's 100% true, but I heard that they went in because flour was so hard to find mm. in the States. They started milling their pea seed to make a pea flour wow. that made, apparently made an amazing bread. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, we've all thought on our feet. Um, we were lucky enough to have the support of the community in Newcastle here. Uh, and be able to not make money, but at least move our produce, and keep some money coming in. Um, you know, we put our staff back on. You know, this jobkeeper package. I'll, I'll go to that. It's it's crazy. You've got to pay them um, then to get the money back. I mean, everyone that is in in business knows this. At this stage, it's 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 tough because you've got to have the. If you're not generating any income, especially when we had to back pay them for the month of April because they were put off. Mm. Um, you know, it was money that we didn't have. Mm. You know, and so that put us further into overdraft, and it, the stress of business, and especially growing farming, you need a head for it. Hey, like um, being a primary producer at, at our size is not easy. Uh, Tim Johnston said it: you either have a team of ten or you have a team of four. In, anything in between. It's just It just doesn't work. You've got to either scale up to, you know, turn over a million dollars or you've got to stay down low, you know. Mm. And when he said that, you know, I was probably in my mind thinking, oh, I've got a better plan, I've got this, you know. But he was fucking not far off the mark. He, yeah. he knows his shit, that guy, and he, he's gone through it growing for the best. And, you know, I used to idolise them as well. Once again, they were in the, the first key book that Peter put together. Mm. Big fan, you know, like, man... They've done it. You know, I saw their farm and the way they do things Mm. and he taught me a lot of, you know, just from being there when we were doing the the transition because we bought a lot of stuff from them when they finished up. Mm. Um, It's it's a very hard industry to play in. Um, At the end of it, you know, uh, we've got a fair bit of perennial stock now. Mm. So if it did go pear-shaped, which I'm praying to God that it doesn't, I'm going to do all in my power that it doesn't. Um, But we do have a fair bit of perennial stock. So, you know, we would get back to a time where... We don't know anything. Uh, We'd be able to sell the vehicles and whatnot, the refrigerated vehicle and whatnot. But I don't want to leave this industry. Mm. Like, I love doing what I'm doing. And I know Elle does as well, and our team do as well. But this coronavirus has definitely been testing. I know a lot of restaurants aren't going to come back from it. Mm. Um, There's going to be a lot of pain yet to be seen. Mm. uh, And, you know, no one's going to be, you know, it's not going to be a good good look i don't think at the end of all this so yeah i I really hope that people get out there and support restaurants and and because you're not just supporting a restaurant you're supporting a lot of people that are passionate about you know what they're doing and and the people behind that is the next thing and then you don't realize this but you know i'm saying it it, it's the people behind us you know the seed sellers the Mm. seed producers you know it's these this is this is like i said it's it's um, from the ground up sort of stuff. There's a lot of people involved in the hospitality industry. Mm. You know what I mean? That you don't see a lot of hiddens.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's even good to just see uh, when coronavirus happened that the Newcastle community, like you even said, mm. just jumping straight on. Like you, you, you kind of take a step back and feel so grateful that though you might be serving some of the best restaurants in Australia, it's mm-hmm. still good to see that the people you live around, your neighbours, are happy to say, we'll happily jump on and help. Like, yeah. And I think that's really like a precious thing that you sometimes maybe forget or um, get too almost complacent with. Uh, and it's it's incredible. Uh, and I'm just curious, with after coronavirus coming out, you mentioned you wanted to scale back Newcastle Greens a bit. Do you think having these vegetable boxes will be
1: a consistent thing? At the moment, we're doing 20 boxes a week um, to... Basically, just twenty loyal people that have just been mm. like hand over fist. They're trying to pay a week out and all this sort of stuff, and mm. it's great. Um, financially, there there it's a great box. Like you know, um, example, there's a, a full soccer ball size cabbage in there. Mm. There's a big head of broccoli. There's a cauliflower. There's a romanesco. Mm. There's three different bunches, whether it be spigarello kale, cavolo, mm. whatever colors. Um, there's a bunch of radishes. Uh, there's a kilo of potatoes There's a bunch of shallots like we've, we've got up to 13 items in our box yeah. Now um, At $50 You can't buy that anywhere you go right now mm. um, So look It might get to a stage where we still keep something Some formulated Sort of shopping cart or something Maybe open where they can buy produce from us A mm. little bit We put a, allocate you know 20 or 30 pieces of a couple of things each week mm. But It's not viable Yeah, sure. It's our 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 business is in in restaurants. I mean, it would be cheaper for me to go to buy off the market floor and sell that box at fifty dollars. I would make better margins doing that Mm. because it's so much cheaper to buy off the market floor than it is to grow uh, or or even buy off mat. It's just it wasn't about making money. Mm. It was about moving our produce and um, not wasting anything and keeping ourselves busy in a time where you know we knew we had food and we mm-hmm. just wanted to make sure people were eating good food people have been spoiled and now they're like you know i don't want to go back to buying from iga or coles or woolworths or whatever you know what i mean so i'm like well you know we'll do our best um and we've had support of you know some of some great people you know and yeah look we've made some good friends
0: You touched on before about also wanting to scale back. I'm just curious whether there are going to be other initiatives that you may as a business person, like just wanting to better combat this if it does happen or just in future as well, like.
1: So we we took on a site, I think it was like February, March. It was before this happened, so it was. I think it was about February. We took on a new site down at Kurunbong. All right. Um, it's it's a, quite a large site. It's uh, an acre under cover, um, and we've just taken on a portion of that at this stage. But there's no other growers there. It's got endless supply of water. It's got a bore there. It's got everything, um, and we have. We've just started setting it up mm. when this happened, and obviously, <laughs> um, you know, we were about to go for quite a hefty bank loan just to sort of get things rolling. We had electricians in there. I'd had it all excavated and set up and you know look we didn't proceed on it. we're still paying the rent on that i'd like to get our situation down there set up Mm. so we're going to move our whole operation to kurunbong where Mm. we've got the other farm as well and this farm around the corner and go into maybe seedlings as well as what we're doing now so maybe supply the industry that supplies us if you know what i mean matt's Mm. buying a lot of seedlings maybe we can grow some seedlings on scale you know we're talking in thousands. Our program for this year, for hundred days of winter, or our brassica season, two hundred thousand seedlings. So um, every fortnight, fourteen thousand seedlings arrive. Wow. And, away, and that's that's just seedlings. So you've still got all your direct seeded crops like your radishes, your peas, mm. you know, um, your carrots, your beetroots. So yeah, it's it's a lot. So there's a good market there, obviously, to tap into. The other thing that El wants to push on with is potentially looking into selling seed starting an online seed bank and um, you know a bit of a seed purveyor so moving things along Um, obviously we've got some rare varieties uh, under our belt and we also have a lot of perennial stock so nursery stock like rocky onions um, which is a chinese bunching onion which Mm. is a perennial that bunches and uh, multiplies each year Uh, we've got a lot of different oxalis varieties now and the numbers on them are starting to get right up we've been growing these for years now and um, this year, I, I surprised myself even because we've got this. Um, it's an oxalis variety called purple shamrock. It's a shamrock, so it's a rounded leaf as opposed to the, the, the triangularis. Triangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them plays as like a. It's like a small, like a like a nut, if you like. And that's the 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 shamrocks. They're the wild oxalis you see out all over the place. Mm. You know, um, you get a bit of diff, you know bit of difference in some of them but that's the ones and this is the time of the year winter seems to be the time of the year they really thrive as Mm. opposed to triangularis is is your summer spring summer varieties that they they, they pump then yeah so we're starting you know we're always trying to cover i think it's just about diversifying we've always been diverse you know um you know we we have a flower grower now we've had for a few years now um uh, nathan dubrick from nath's place He's been producing flowers. Unfortunately, that stopped. It's only just starting to get back now. So just trying to have everyone in in positions. And like I was saying before, with this sort of this kitchen team, you know, where you've got someone doing this and someone doing that and pastry getting looked after and just knowing that, you know, you've got all bases covered. We realised that we couldn't draw a crowd with just flowers or microgreens or leaves that we needed to have them as a combo now we've got the veg Mm. you know so we've got that working on and it's just it's really just about having a network of people that are all gone for the same thing and where the sort of the avenue for them to move their produce through and Mm. something that they're proud about as well
0: were there any restaurants you were sad to see close from your customers but anywhere from like newcastle to sydney you're sad to see
1: look it seems to me that most of who we were supplying either haven't opened again yet and haven't suggested that they're going to close um or they just, you know, they, they opened or they tried to get through. I think the ones that tried to get through are the ones that are probably the busiest at the moment. Mm. You know, they, they formulated a takeaway menu and they went for it. So I really haven't seen a whole lot, you know, and I don't know if I've just been, you know, blinded or I, don't, I haven't been looking or whatever. The one on the world scale bar, like 11 Madison, you know, like mm. that's a huge one, man. Um, mm. I mean, that rocked the world. Uh, also to hear uh, Brett Graham closed his venue at the Ledbury. Like, yeah. you know, he's a Newcastle Green. We were talking boy. about that the other day. That that's huge, man. Ridiculous. It's gutting to hear that that's happened.
0: What is the future looking like for Newcastle Greens and, and yourself and now and going forward with the business? And I know you talked about scaling back and wanting yeah. to grow different things and, and doing new initiatives. And I'm yeah. just curious if you can lay it down.
1: Um, moving forward, the future, we're just going to, Look, like I said, we've got plenty of perennial stock getting our numbers up there. Um, I'm really looking forward to just getting back to some numbers, growing. We're not changing what we're doing. Um, Elle's, in fact, looking to get more varietals in through Calvin Lambourne's peas, through Rod. We're not changing anything at the moment. We're just going to sit strong. Um, We've managed to get through this, which has been, you know, just so many different... um, problems and we've got through that i think you know you've you've got to come through these things and to be something at the end you've got to face some some hard stuff we're all we've all faced it you know we're facing it we're not going to change what we're doing we're looking to move our operation down to current and structure it more we're probably going to require more staff when when that happens because of the sheer scale Mm. so scaling up but scaling back in a way we're going to do more we're going to do more stuff but we potentially might go to a salad... You know, we would, we've been talking about doing a salad bag. They've been such a big hit. Mm. So we're going to do a salad bag maybe for a retail operation. You know, just trying to do a little bit more for ourselves as opposed to, you know, growing it and selling it and letting you guys do something with mm. it. We might start doing a little bit more stuff with, you know, there's kitchens that I've got available to me. Mm. We could potentially do our own kimchi. We could do our, you know, just maybe trying to just tack a couple of things on and get two bites out of the cherry as opposed to just the one mm. sale. I just think we've got to just smarten up, pick pick and choose who we want to deal with, um, you know, and, and try and make sure that whoever we're working with, is, you know, going to be there as well. Mm. Because, you know, we noticed through this time that a lot of restaurants did close, probably without the thought of opening again because of how hard they took a hit. I know a lot of people were carrying debt into this problem. And you know what I mean? Like smaller restaurants, um, and even some of the large guys, and I know that they would have, you know, struggle to get those doors back open, um, and so we just want to make sure we don't let our accounts get out of control, and we're left, you know, holding the baby as such. Like it's, it's just it hurt us pretty bad. Um, so just being tight, being more personable with our approach to who we're working with, and you know, looking looking into more like um, custom growing, like as opposed to just growing willy nilly and you know, just pushing the sale once you've got it banging on the list and off it sells. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe looking at you know sitting down and talking with chefs a bit more about and structuring it a bit more so that we go okay well this is what we're going to have ready yeah you know can you give us a bit of a ballpark figure if Mm. I've got surplus I'd rather overgrow than undergrow you know for your menu Mm. Um, we're doing that right now with Peter um, and he's you know obviously he's a big player in our business because you know the numbers are are fierce and Mm. you know it's a good income for us so just working a little bit close more closely with these guys and, and picking and choosing and knowing our space and our water capacity and yeah you know we've learned all this now and it's second nature like i said it's, it's good to get around and you know um know that you know it but sometimes it's good to write it down and put it in front of you or have it on the wall as a as a guideline because it's easy to forget when you're doing day-to-day operations and you know it when you work in the kitchen it's you, you, sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees because mm. you're so busy. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking that I, you know, want to make sure that we're all on the same page in our crew. Like it's been big for us to have briefings and debriefings. We're talking about just being a bit more, you know, professional about how we operate. Mm. Um, and I think that you know we can all do that a bit better. Yeah. Um, so just just trying to tidy things up and, and and get back on track. I mean, we've got some good we've got some good knowledge now, and it's about putting it to use. Um, looking forward to having some more farm tours once this opens up and getting crews in, and just you know maybe doing a couple more things like this where we you know we're getting out there and sharing our story yeah of course um you know, i really appreciate you doing this today and coming up driving up from sydney um and yeah man just just having some fun with it because like it's been shit mm. and we we have learned to appreciate after uh, all this that you know the simple things man like just even that community um connection where they were coming and getting a box from us mm. you couldn't believe some of the stories people were like you know we're dealing with there's bigger problems out there you know what i mean and i think we just appreciate just just a bit of communication sometimes and a bit of like just being a bit more open yeah. I think a lot of people are more open now yeah you know um we've, we've we're grounded a bit more and so just looking forward to that um look there's always something on the horizon with us you know mm. just trying to trying to find something new or that's, that's not going to change. But, uh, you know, in, you know, we've got enough stuff now. Yeah. We've, we've, we're starting to get on top of things. Who knows? Um, we're not going to do this forever. Uh, nor do I think we'd ever sell our business. Mm. But I'd like to think that we get to a stage that we have enough nursery stock that we could start to sell to people that are a bit more like-minded, like us. Yeah, sure. So they could kick off and grow on. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Because we sourced these these perennials, these oxalises and things like that. And these, you know, different garlics. And it took us a long time to get the numbers up, you know, and I don't want to sell myself short yet, but when we get to a stage that we've got enough to even just have enough to sell and we've got enough stock there to sell like the rhizomes and things, mm. I'd love to do something like that. I'm not afraid. A lot of people be cagey, you know, oh, I don't want to sell that. That's something i that no Scott. I'm more about seeing it get out there and people being able to get it, you know, mm. um, that will move things along, you know, for for chefs to evolve and create. And I think if we can, you know, find ourselves on, we, we have got one of the most, you know, diverse um, opportunities when it comes to getting fresh produce in Australia because look, we've got we've got all seasons, you know what yeah. I mean. We can get stuff ninety percent of the year, all over the place, you know. Mm. And we still import. I don't know why, but we still do. It's because probably because of the greed, you know. We want to see, you know, pineapples out of season or whatever it might be. Mm. But, you know, I just do think that in order for us to move along, we've got to embrace what we've got, mm. you know, and share. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, we're not going to give the Lamborns away at this stage, but I know there'll come a stage where it will say, well, we should start selling the seed. Mm. You know, we're, I know that's on the cards. So that, that gives other growers an opportunity to grow this variety as well, which in part, restaurants in Western Australia or wherever, you know, can, can get those, you know, those products on their plates, mm. you know, which in part gives the grower and the breeder, know the original guys yeah a bit more credit yeah sure and that's you know this is a big thing we all deserve a bit of credit yeah um and and you know this has been a time where we've all given ourselves a bit of credit you know Mm. um so yeah good things on you know On the on the top of the mountain when we get up there, and we just got to get through this this period of time, and it's been bloody cold, so things are a bit slow. Um, But when we get to spring, man, I love spring. Spring is my favourite season, and uh, I know we're gonna. We've got tomatoes in the tunnels at the moment; they're going to be on. We've got cucumbers in the tunnels at the moment; they're going to be on. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your story. I think I just wanted Jeez, to touch man. on the fact that that's the point of Root's podcast as well, is that you're sharing the, the words of people who are pushing themselves to the limit and aren't getting that same credit like big people in the media. And yeah. I, I think that's really important. So I do appreciate you coming on, especially if your first time being on a podcast. I, thanks, think it's, I think it's a first step, you know? So, yeah, no, it's good. I yeah, it. so I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for joining Root's podcast and listening to Dylan Abdul's journey with Newcastle Greens. I hope you tune in for our next episode coming out next week. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening.